Welcome to Waves of Change podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Waves of Change podcast. I'm so happy that you are with us today. Today I have a great conversation for you. Today I'm talking to Todd Reeve, who is the CEO of Bonneville Environmental Foundation. We had a really great conversation about the amazing work that they are doing and also the issues facing us with um, climate change and what we can do as listeners to to help make an impact in the right direction. I know that you're really going to love this conversation. Um, A couple of things I wanted to point out that really stuck out to me with my conversation with Todd is um, really the entrepreneurial approach that Bonneville Environmental Foundation is taking, I think is very interesting. Instead of a more philanthropic approach, they um, are investing in partners and solutions and really looking to grow um, their potential impact, which is very exciting. And um, a unique way that they're doing that is really working with a variety of partners from companies to utilities to tribes, nonprofits to really enact solutions and scale them up. So it was very interesting to hear about um, that approach that they're taking. I also love um, their focus on equitable access to clean energy. I think that's so important. I feel like right now where we're at with clean energy is is accessible to people who have the the capital to pay for it, the people who can afford an electric car, who can afford putting solar panels on their house, who can afford um, you know a backup battery for their solar panels. It it adds up, and I love that they're focused on bringing clean energy to communities who don't normally have access to it. I think that's um, really exciting and I love that they're looking at it from that angle. Um, And I really loved in in my conversation with Todd and you'll hear us speak about it. He mentions that, you know, the benefits of of going green, of focusing on on clean energy and, and focusing on environmental solutions, there are big economical benefits to that, to going green. People think that going green is it, as, is, is too costly. Um, but, um, and I love what Todd said, inaction is what's costly. If we wait too long to enact these solutions, we're going to end up paying in the long run, right? Um, we got to enact these solutions now. We got to go green now um, while we still have a chance. And if we do, then um, the economic benefits are 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 great, and I um, I loved that he mentioned that. Something else that he mentioned that I wanted to point out is we have to act now when it comes to climate change. You know, he mentioned that the solutions are there. Um, we have all the tools to solve this problem. But we need to come together and we need to prioritize it. And there's no waiting when it comes to climate change. It's a problem that is here and now. And we got to be boots on the ground. We got to use our voices. We got to vote for the right people who will prioritize it. We got to vote with our dollars, make smart choices when we are using money, whether it's buying a car, um, in the store, buying products that are green, 
we um, decide when we spend money, we are giving it to a company and it's important to know what that company stands for. Are they partnering with, um, with organizations like Bonneville Environmental Foundation? Are they focused on helping solve climate change? We all have to come together. We all have to prioritize this problem of, of our generation. He mentioned, you know, we have the solutions. The hope is that the solutions are there. We know how to fix it, but we all need to prioritize it. We all need to come together. And I'll just end by saying um, something that I know you all hear me say again and again and again, but action over apathy. We can't just say climate change, it's too big of a problem and throw up our hands and walk away. No, we all have to take steps and, and solve it together. So with that, I will let you get to my interview with Todd Reeve. I hope you enjoy it. So today we have Todd Reeve, CEO of Bonneville Environmental Foundation. Todd, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Of course. Can you tell us what the mission of Bonneville Environmental Foundation is? Absolutely. Our mission is focused on creating and supporting solutions to pressing energy, water, and climate challenges. Um, and we do that by working collaboratively with a broad set of actors, may include companies, utilities, nonprofits, tribes, to try and create solutions that ultimately expand the, the set of solutions that we're able to generate um, through collective impact. I love it. And what's the history of, um, can I call it BEF? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Please do. <laughs> um, what's the, the history of how the foundation came to be? A fabulous question. We're a 22-year-old nonprofit organization based in Portland, Oregon, but with staff in many states. And we were initially founded as an entity to support renewable energy and water and watershed solutions. Um, through the sale of renewable energy. And mm -hmm. so the concept was the sale of renewable energy would generate revenue that we could invest in partners and solutions related to clean energy and to water. Um, and we've evolved very significantly since that early point. But a few elements and attributes are really fundamental to who we are. Um, one is entrepreneurism of really trying to create new systems, new pathways, new models, new markets that ultimately can bring more revenue and scale up solutions. And the other is really not being dogmatic in who we work with and wanting to work with anyone that is willing to explore a pathway to a bigger, better, scalable energy, water, carbon solution. And so our history revolves around a lot of work with the corporate sector, the private sector, utility partners in creating new models and pathways to generate revenue that can support these energy, water, carbon solutions. I love that you all don't um, discriminate on, you know, based on who you work with, if, you know, a company approaches you and they might have a, um, for lack of better words, dirty past, um, you're still willing to work with them because, you know, we can all do better, right? We cannot. I mean, I really sincerely believe that um, we want to meet entities where they are. We want to find where their desire overlaps with our mission. And if there's an opportunity there to build and improve our work in this space, we're eager to explore it. 
Having said that, we certainly will not work with anybody, but we're eager to explore with any partner what they're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to accomplish, and if there's synergy and there's value in working together. I love that. Can you let us know how you came to um, work at BF? Absolutely. Yeah. I've been there 22 years, which is amazing. Oh, wow. And the organization is just a bit older than that. But I came in working specifically on watershed and water related programs within the organization. And I have a nonprofit history. My entire career have worked in and around and for nonprofits. And one thing that always um, I felt like there was opportunity to do more and do better was kind of expanding the reach and the opportunity of nonprofit work by collaborating with broader sets of industry, nonprofit, tribal, municipal um, industry partners. And so coming to BEF was really exciting for me. At the time, I was working on conventional watershed restoration, fisheries, habitat recovery type projects. But I was exposed very early on to this entrepreneurial approach where BEF was creating new products like renewable energy credits, was engaging new partners that I'd never worked with before, like utilities, like companies. And so I really got excited and sort of took in everything I could of a business model that's more entrepreneurial, that's more focused on partnering with a broader set of stakeholders that aren't typically involved in nonprofit work in a big way to sort of grow the size of the pie and grow the potential for impact. And so with kind of that exposure to what the foundation was doing more broadly around markets and renewable energy and different partners, I began to work more and more centrally to how the organization could scale up that work across all manner of our operations from the carbon side to the renewable energy side to the water side. And that led me to cross over with other areas of the foundation and ultimately to grow within the organization and become the CEO today where I oversee uh, multiple programs, including a clean energy education program, renewable ener- renewable energy development program, business for water stewardship program, um, and a business line that deals in, in carbon and renewable energy. I love that. I'd love to get more into um, BEF's programming. I know that you all, as you just mentioned, are broken up into three kind of core solutions of um, water, carbon, and energy. I'd love for, before we kind of get into it, for you to speak of why those three core focuses are important. Yeah, great question. Um, so we look at that nexus that I'm I'm sure you're very well acquainted with, right, of energy, water, carbon. Um, and in so many ways, those are inextricably linked. Um, we use tremendous amounts of energy um, in our water space for pumping water, treating water, delivering water. We use tremendous amounts of water in our energy space for hydropower production, thermal energy. And so the more that we explored it, the more we saw how all these elements were linked. And even in my work on the watershed and the riverside, my growing appreciation for how um, water in rivers is really lacking, right? As a fundamental component of habitat. And unless we have solutions to augment flows in rivers, restore those flows to wetlands, lakes, rivers, we're only, you know, have the potential to get half the job done. So as BEF grew and as I grew with the organization, 
we began to see sort of these core pressing issues of our time that, of course, and and the last five years, right, every headline in every newspaper about water scarcity, water pollution, et cetera. Um, but at the same time, of course, climate and carbon and renewable energy as a core tenant to kind of solve for those. So the longer that I worked at this, the more I saw those elements as inextricably linked to the larger societal, environmental, economic solution. And so BEF over time evolved to really have those three core pillars and to develop and operate programs that sought to, uh, to create large-scale impacts, partnership solutions that could really contribute across those elements to our environmental sustainability. Mm, that's interesting. Um I'd love to kind of walk through those three focus areas, um, starting with water. Can you explain what BEF is doing around water and watersheds? Yeah, glad to do that. Um, sort of two pillars of that work. BEF has a history of being an innovator in the watershed restoration arena, where we pioneered a funding approach that partnered with groups long-term, made a decade-long commitment to join with community-based, locally-based groups that were working to repair and heal and improve their watersheds. And that led us to develop additional relationships with philanthropic organizations to help design and implement other long-term programs that would attempt to um, increase the, the pace and scale and effectiveness of watershed restoration investments. Um, and we continue that work today and we continue to evolve it as we see new challenges related to climate and fire and water scarcity of how we can work with local groups to bolster their efforts um, to improve those watershed conditions. That's one piece of our watershed work. The other piece, which is very significant today and is growing, is through our Business for Water Stewardship program where we are direct collaborators with many of the Fortune 500 industry leaders that are realizing that their investment, their participation in water stewardship will be critical to sustain social, economic, community, environmental functions in a lot of places that they operate in the United States and globally. Mm -hmm. So this is a really significant pillar of work for us where we are working directly with companies to help them develop strategies for water stewardship work, helping them invest in programs, partnerships, projects that are building resilience into the habitat, the communities, the rivers, the watershed ecosystems in these areas. And I think today we've supported going on 300 projects with millions yeah. of dollars invested and are increasing that work internationally because as you know, there's a demand, you know, water scarcity across the planet is emerging as a fundamental challenge. So those are our two kind of pillars of watershed work. Um, and there's also an intersection, of course, between those two. Do Could you give us an example of um, one of the strategies or projects under um, that? Yeah, absolutely. So as you're likely tracking um, the Colorado River Basin, in particular, the lower basin is under acute stress right now and, and even is, is moving toward a crisis where Lakes Mead and Powell may be at a dead pool situation where the integrity of those systems is at risk, their ability to deliver water is at risk as soon as possibly the end of 2023. 
And so we've worked extensively with companies and tribes and nonprofit partners to identify and develop projects that can help funnel corporate resources, corporate leadership into solutions. And we have a handful of projects there that really stand up as being significant opportunities to address those issues. So a suite of projects from investing in irrigation modernization efforts to help tribes and other irrigators use less water and achieve the same amount of agricultural outcome, um, projects to line irrigation canals, projects to install drip irrigation, but working on a really exciting project right now that works collaboratively with tribes, irrigators, um, to be able to conserve water that can go into Lake Mead to reduce the rate at which we're depleting that reservoir and generate additional funding for habitat restoration projects and irrigation modernization. That project is in development now, and it's exciting because it has both near-term opportunities to make a difference, but is also investing in longer-term, more durable pathways to ultimately create systemic change in the way we use value and manage water in the lower Colorado River Basin. An earlier iteration of that, I think we had 15 different companies, many household names, Fortune 100 companies, collectively funding a project and a partnership that we had with the Colorado River Indian tribes to mm -hmm. help conserve tens of thousands of acres of, of water, acre feet of water to benefit Lake Mead. So that's just an example of the kind of innovation, coordination, collective impact that we're helping to generate um, to alleviate water stress and build resilience into these water systems. Yeah, that's exciting. I love hearing about that. Um, and now moving on to carbon, can you explain what uh, BEF is doing around carbon? Yeah. So BEF runs a business line that that trades carbon offsets and renewable energy certificates. And a part of that, we have a long history of working in this space as an innovator, developing new methodologies um, for high quality carbon offset projects. And we continue to use that business line of carbon offsets um, to support companies. In, and utilities in their efforts to achieve carbon reductions. And so there's a, a sales line associated with the carbon work, but at the same time, this bridges over into our renewable energy work where we're working at the forefront of green hydrogen as a pathway to reduce carbon emissions, um, conversion and support for electric vehicles, um, community solar projects. We can talk more about that in a second, but yeah. all as mechanisms to engage new technologies, engage communities in ultimately this transition to clean energy and decarbonization of our economy. Can you explain a bit how the carbon offset works? So if I'm a company and I, I want to partner as far as like carbon offset, how, sure. how would that work? Yeah. So there's kind of two ways. And the first is so many of our projects have carbon benefits, right? Even a lot of the water projects, if you're using less water, pumping less water in many of our projects, there is a carbon reduction associated with that. Or even projects we're supporting around forest resilience in California mm. or Arizona where mitigating the potential for large catastrophic fires, right. um, maximizing carbon storage. That's not in a carbon offset sense, but projects that have co-benefits that relate to carbon. In the market sense that you're asking about, um, as you know, there's a, a large carbon market that exists globally. We, we are one of the only, perhaps nearly the only nonprofit 
partner that is working in that carbon offset space. And so mm-hmm. we have a set of partners that we um, purchase carbon offsets from. We validate, we review the product that they're offering, the impact that those carbon offsets generate. And then we offer those for sale to a whole range of customers, big and small, that are looking to use carbon offsets as one element of their strategy around climate and water. Very interesting. Um, Great. So lastly, moving on to energy, um, could you explain the work that BEF is doing around energy? Yeah. So we have a renewable energy program and this much of BEF's work is national in scope or even has international components. The renewable energy program is really focused for the most part in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and Washington. And that work is, is really focused on building and scaling pathways for clean energy and creating those pathways in a way that clean energy benefits are equitably distributed or available to all members of society and especially underserved communities. And so we have a history of fantastic partnerships with tribes, with utilities, with nonprofit organizations to advance this work. And it takes a lot of different forms. But one is we've really been a pioneer of community solar projects in this Northwest region, Mm -hmm. helping utilities build projects that all of their members can participate in. And recently, we've really built that out and we're um, leading work to develop low income community solar where these projects generate income or sorry, generate financial benefits for some of the, the rate payers or the electricity customers that are least able to pay. Right. And we know that um, the cost of energy is, is one of the largest burdens that occurs for, for individuals and communities that in some cases are least able to afford it. So that's something we're really excited about, building up these community scale solar projects for the most part that are generating those benefits for low income utility customers. That's one example. That's awesome. Um, Another example, which we're really excited about right now, is really being at the forefront of building out infrastructure and programming to expand electric vehicle usage. And just a few examples, partnering with utilities to help them access money to bring electric school buses into their um, service territories, working with communities to help build out infrastructure and models that allow for everybody to be able to access electric vehicles um, in multi-tenant housing facilities, in low-income facilities. Right now, it's really difficult for those partners to charge or access electric vehicles. So we're working on EV car sharing programs um, Mm -hmm. and pathways to help expand the electrification and the decarbonization through electric vehicles, even have a program and a partnership around bringing electric um, farm equipment tractors um, into rural communities to help build that out as a component of low carbon benefits. Um, And then just another example of where there's potential for large scale technology innovation is around green hydrogen and the ability to use Um, solar or wind or hydro that has zero or very low carbon associated with it to generate hydrogen gas that can be used in so many areas of our economy that are really difficult to decarbonize right now. And so working closely on that. So those are just a few examples of where we're working in the renewable energy area with many more. 
I love uh, BF's focus on inequities as far as renewable energy. I think that's really important to bring it to communities who, you know, don't typically have access to clean energy. And that's an incredible, you know, forefront of this work. And we just partnered with a, a community group and, a, and, a, and acquired a grant, which will create, just as one example, the largest community solar project in the city of Portland with... Yeah benefits to houseless communities to underserved communities and so i really think we're moving in a positive direction of building these partnerships understanding where we can bring technical um, capacity to continue this growth of benefits to underserved communities wow that's really exciting um i know you just spoke on you know hydrogen and i know that's like a really hot uh, topic. Can you kind of explain for listeners who might not be familiar with that kind of um, what's going on in that space and, and the benefits sure. of it? Yeah. And I'm by no means a hydrogen expert, so I will just attempt to sort of skim the surface here. But hydrogen has incredible... So the challenge with many forms of renewable energy, let's say solar or wind, is that clean energy is generated when the wind blows or when the sun shines. Right. Right. So at nighttime, you know, the solar generation doesn't exist. Um, if the wind isn't blowing, we're not receiving green electrons from the wind. And so one of the biggest challenges related to converting to this clean energy economy is being able to store energy or be able to call upon those energy sources when we need them. Hydroelectricity is one example of that, where those reservoirs are holding water at a higher elevation. And if we turn on the the turbines, we let water pass through, we can generate energy at night or during the day or when the wind isn't blowing, as one example. Also, fossil fuel, coal, gas, do the same thing, turn those systems on and off. Hydrogen is one of the pathways to be able to convert clean energy, let's say hydroelectricity, power generated through solar systems or wind energy into a gas that ultimately stores a large amount of energy. So this concept is really, really important. The gas can be seen as a battery, right? If we mm -hmm. can use the sunlight at midday when it's abundant, if we can use the wind when it's blowing strong, and we can turn that into a battery, in this case, hydrogen gas and other forms that that gas can be converted to, we then have the ability to store that energy, to accumulate that energy, and to use it on demand when we, we may need it. And so there are very interesting pathways that that energy can be used. One that's exciting is, say, for um, global shipping, right? Right now, there really is no alternative to that sort of large-scale need for global shipping. Hydrogen gas would be one means of a low-carbon or zero-carbon fuel to, to support shipping. Um, we're supporting right now in partnership with a handful of utility and community partners, some of the first vehicle fueling stations in the Pacific Northwest region. So for smaller vehicles, um, there also is potential for hydrogen fueling stations and use of that gas through fuel mm. cell systems. Um, and there was one other element I was gonna, oh, ultimately, you know, as we build out the infrastructure to be able to distribute this gas, it could be used in a, a just a wide variety of applications that currently are very carbon intensive. So there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of people that are unsure how this will evolve, but there's tremendous potential for us to use our abundant renewable energy resources to generate those clean green electrons and be able to store that energy in the form of hydrogen gas or another related um, 
form um, tied to the hydrogen gas production. And um, it's a relatively simple process of needing electricity and water to be able to generate that hydrogen gas. Very interesting. Thank you for going through that. Um, kind of like more of a broader question, but um, assuming most listeners um, aren't well-versed in what's going on with climate change and everything, what's one thing that you wish people knew about climate change? Woof, that's a great question. <laughs> Loaded question. You know, I think we're just so removed, right? Our day-to-day -day activities our knowledge of the scale of impacts that we're going to face. And I think we're so distracted from all the different information and points of view on climate change. And I just think it's imperative that we all absorb and appreciate the fact that this is a, a very real, very acute challenge and that policy action on this as soon as possible will generate all manner of the social and economic benefits that we all desire. And so I think it's frustrating that the narrative is often um, pitting ec economy against climate change, right? And we know that if we get ahead of this, if we're proactive, it's actually an economic opportunity. Totally. And so I would say, thanks for the question, first of all. But one, let's just acknowledge this is an acute need we need to address this as fast as possible. And the benefits are unlimited to us as a society, right? If we can get ahead of this, if we can take a leadership role, um, we will accrue those economic, social, environmental benefits. And every minute that we wait is just stupid. And we're letting other entities get ahead of us um, that ultimately we'll have to pay the cost for. Yeah, it's a great response. Um, and then this kind of goes hand in hand, but when thinking about climate change, what brings you hope? Wow, I think there's a ton of hope. When you when you do the type of work that I do and you're exposed to the people on the ground that are working on this, you're exposed to the technologies, you're working day to day on seeing these elements move forward and gain progress, it's inspiring. And so I think the biggest thing is we have all the technologies and we have all the solutions, right? I see it every single day, growth, progress, low carbon innovation um, that provides incredible benefits to people and communities. It's all there. I think the frustration is that we can't sort of align and move it forward in coordination very quickly. So I think what's inspiring is it isn't just, wow, there's a huge crisis and let's all wring our hands. Right. The solutions exist and we're moving them forward. I just wish it were better aligned, better organized and faster. Yeah, great answer. Um, and then kind of on that same topic, what's like one thing that listeners can do today to reduce their footprint? I love that question because I think we are quite decoupled, right? In our hour by hour day-to-day -day lives from this connection to... The, the greatest challenge of our time, right? Around climate change. So thanks for that question. The first thing I think is to build awareness into our lives, right? An understanding of when I turn on the lights, when I start my car, when I fly on an airplane, 
there are climate related impacts. And I think it's important just to begin acknowledging sort of the ecosystem of how those all fit together. Um, and then I think the big thing is we need to push for and advocate for policy. As we said a minute ago, the solutions exist. I, I firmly believe they have economic upside, social upside, environmental upside. We need to be really strong with our elected leaders and our positions and say, we want to advance this work. We think hydrogen hubs, we think electric vehicles, we think community solar projects, all of these things can generate benefits and can help address climate. So let's move forward with them now. And so it would be wonderful if society could become aligned on this and we could just have this kind of fire hose of impact and alignment and get our policies aligned with what we know can happen and will need to happen. So I think each of us as individuals can have an immense impact as we sort of um, encourage our elected officials, encourage our friends, our colleagues, our family members to play a positive part in this work and push for proactive, no regret actions. They're going to generate a, a clean energy future for us all. Yeah, I love that. I think also something that I, I've heard in the past is also like vote with your dollars. So you not only vote for like decision makers who are behind, um, you know, clean energy, but also like, you know, so that's, I'm sure what so many, so much of the reason of why companies want to align with BEF is because consumers are saying that it's important to them. So I think that's critically important. That's a, a great point. Um, Every, I really do believe that every time we spend a dollar, we're voting for the kind of world that we want in the future. And we know not everybody can go out and buy a, you know, $80,000 electric vehicle tomorrow. But I even think if you're shopping for a vehicle and you tell the, um, you know, the salesperson, hey, I'm really interested in electric vehicles. And why does this manufacturer not have more? You know, I feel like we're sending the signal this is what we want. And maybe we want lower cost electric vehicles, but we can be sending that single signal all day with all of our actions and, you know, generating that, that market response that will provide for and solve for clean energy solutions related to the products and services that we need every day. Totally. I love that. Well, as we close up, I want to give you the opportunity to let listeners know how they can help uh, Bonneville Environmental Foundation. Oh, that's a nice offer. So we're a really unique organization and we're trying to bring innovation and entrepreneurship and a business mindset to solving these challenges. We're trying to, and I think we're succeeding in growing the size of the pie instead of just competing for scarce funds. Um, and so people that are interested in these kind of solutions, um, if you're working on water-related projects and innovation, if you are interested in and aware of, you know, community or renewable energy solutions, you know, check out Bonneville Environmental Foundation, look at the programs, look at the services that we provide. It's possible you might be a partner on the ground that could benefit from or work with us. Um, we certainly do accept donations. We provide carbon offsets online, renewable energy credits online, um, but check out um, Bonneville Environmental Foundation online. Um, take a look at our programs, depending on where you live and what you're interested in. Um, think about how we might be able to partner and scale up this work together. I love that. Well, thank you, Todd. Well, we always end every interview with just some fun rapid fire questions of just getting to know you if you're down for that. Sounds sounds very interesting. 
<laughs> um, so the first one is your favorite place in the world and be as specific as possible. Wow. I think I'm going to go with the Metolius River in Oregon, a very unique and special place um, for many reasons, a spring fed river that pops out of the side of a mountain um, and is just kind of like going back in time. Beautiful place. I love that. Where in Oregon is that? So it's in what they term as central Oregon um, okay. between near sisters, Oregon um, or Bend, Oregon is a larger town in that area. Very cool. Um, what TV show are you currently watching? Oof. Um, I just finished watching Dairy Girls, D-E-R-R-Y, about some uh, teenage girls growing up in Northern Ireland during sort of the height of the troubles or the conflict there. I keep hearing about that one, so I'll have to watch that. It's and pretty the, interesting. <laughs> the last book that you read. Oh, last book that I read. Um... Uh, I'd have to go grab the title, but it's a uh, it's a book about the Colorado River and how the the science about how much water actually was in the river was ignored because it was inconvenient. Mm. And today we're dealing with that um, reality of um, the rights that were sort of awarded to all the different states and tribes and countries. Um, the water rights, that is, um, are far in excess of what the river is able to provide. Um, so Interesting. fascinating read. Yep. Yeah. Um, one fun fact about you. Oh, boy. Fun fact. Um, everyone likes this one. I've eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch virtually every day of my life since about <laughs> age three, unless some other option is provided for me. I love it. You don't get tired of it. Don't get, it's very efficient, very straightforward, no cleanup. Classic. Um, and then the last one is your favorite quote. Oh, my favorite quote. Uh, Can you compare? I like it? this one that I think is Winston Churchill. That is something along the lines of, "You can always, uh, you can always expect the United States to do the right thing." after they've exhausted all of our, all other alternatives. <laughs> Something like that. I love that. A little bit of humor there. Well, thank you so much, Todd. I really appreciate your time and, um, and getting the chance to speak with you. I'm very grateful. Hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for listening to Waves of Change podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. I would love if you would follow or subscribe our podcast, or would you leave a rating or review? Five stars is our favorite. That would help others find us, and we'd really appreciate it. If you are active on social media, please follow us at Waves of Change podcast on Instagram. Even more, if you would share this episode on your stories, that would be wonderful. If you have suggestions or want to recommend an organization I should interview, email us at wavesofchangepodpod at gmail.com. Thank you. I'll see you next time.